0: It has been encouragement hearing you sing this morning, Crossview. And I. maybe that's because we're all in a concrete block box of sorts. I don't know, but it has been encouraging to my heart. I know to to hear you sing and to sing with you of these truths of the gospel, of the gospel worked out in life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. I apologize in advance for my voice. I am well supplied with cough drops, and I hope it will hold up. But as we look at the word this morning together, we'll be looking at the first part of Colossians 1. Really is Paul's prayer. In many of his pastoral letters that he writes, he begins with a prayer for the people who he's writing to. It'll be very insightful for us as we um Study it this morning together, but what I'd like to do is we'll go ahead and pray, look at the word together, specifically for Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter one. God, we need your help as we look at your word. Because unless help us understand your word, we cannot understand it. Lord, we know that you have said that you will help us. So we pray for understanding. We pray for clarity. Clarity is as I bring the word, as I I explain what the word says, I pray that I would not add anything to the text, I would not leave anything out of the text. And I also pray for clarity as it is heard. That they would that those listening this morning would would hear, see clearly from your word what it says, and also the implications of what your word says, that as a result, all of us would look more like you this morning, would leave this place, remembering what your word has said, that we would be people changed by the word. I ask ask for my voice. We know that you answer prayer, but we ask these things, fully expecting that you will answer them. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we look at Colossians one this morning, I have a confession, and the confession may be a strange way as we look at Colossians one together. And you're like, okay, not sure where you're going. We're looking at Colossians one. You're beginning with a confession. My confession is, I'm not particularly artistic say, okay, now I really am confused. Well, as we begin to look at the word this morning, I think that it is helpful to begin here looking at the whole of Colossians. Okay, I'm I'm not sure I'm following him. Although I'm not artistic, I enjoy well-painted art, as I think many of us do. Because sometimes if we have come and you see a painting... If you go over to a friend's house and they have a painting on the wall and you're like, wow, that really captures the scene well. Now, I cannot paint to save my life. And so if some of you here can paint, any tips that you have would be great. But if I had to paint to save my life, it would not end well. But when I've seen some of these pieces of art, as I think you may have also, and it captures it. So well that helps us then look at the detail. Okay, where where are you going with that? When I was in Uzbekistan last I was there a couple few months ago. When I go, what I like to do is to go into one of these open air markets and find where local painters have painted a picture. Whether that is a picture from the countryside, maybe it's a picture of street life there taking place, and it's often a really neat way to go because paintings travel well, be able to capture what you've experienced and bring it back with you. And so we were going into this bazaar. This bazaar sells nearly everything under the sun, except I could not find the section where these local paintings were being sold. They're usually kind of like tucked away in an alley or kind of in a little store off to the side, and sometimes difficult to find them. Finally found them at a different location than we were expecting. And we walked in, and there was the painting know what I mean you kind of look around you see multiple paintings but there's the painting that captures what you've experienced it was a round painting maybe four feet wide so too big to bring back on an airplane but it was about four feet wide and it really captures just the way the sunlight was interacting with the buildings the people everything that was there it had captured so beautifully what had been experienced now say why do you mention that this morning as we look at the passage this morning in Colossians, I thought back to that painting. What a way. Well, because as we look at the passage, the same rules of understanding a text take place. Now, I looked up on Google, how do you paint? That may be my first mistake. It began with saying, okay, you start from big picture, you paint to detail often paint from light to dark. I think that is also helpful for us as we look at this passage this morning. Because if we want to understand where Paul begins, it is helpful that we understand the entire book as a whole. Now you may have grown up church. You may have grown up hearing or reading through Colossians regularly. So I, I hope this will be a helpful exercise for us as we look very quickly at the broad, maybe you could say the the canvas of Colossians, and then we specifically work our way towards the detail of Paul's prayer. But that's where we're going this morning. So if there's a brief overview of Colossians, where you could say the canvas of Colossians that we're working from, what do we know about Colossians? Who was it written to? Why was it written? Who wrote it? All of these things go in into Painting the canvas that the detail we will look at. So Colossians is one of several prison epistles. Prison epistles is, is as Paul was writing these letters, he was writing from prison. And there are several of these letters written at a similar time when he was in jail. You often see similar themes in them. So for example, you have Ephesians, you have Colossians. Philemon, and these books were written at a similar time period. Similar people are mentioned in all three of these books, although these books were each written to individual churches or people. So, if Colossians was written and Ephesians was written at the same time, Ephesus or the church in Ephesus, the book that the Ephesians was written to, is about a hundred miles away. Colossians was inland, about a hundred miles from Ephesus, inside in the interior. And there was another group of churches there that Paul was writing to in the book of Colossians. At the same time, he also wrote the book to Philemon that I mentioned. Well, Philemon was a member of the church at Colossae. And as he's writing to these people and these churches, he's mentioning certain things, certain themes are there that are helpful in our understanding of them as a whole. Well, some of the people that are mentioned, you would have Philemon mentioned. He was a (coughs) <coughs> he was a member of this church in Colossae, his slave had run away, had come to know the Lord, and Paul was sending him back with this letter and most likely also sending the letter to the Colossae church at the same time. So we mentioned Epaphras in our, in our text this morning, verse, verse 7 of chapter 1. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, Epaphras is mentioned in in both of these books. In Philemon, verse 23, he's mentioned that he's a fellow prisoner. So Epaphras had been very influential, very um, helpful in the starting of the church of Colossae, had gone to visit Paul, had brought news of the church to Paul, who was in prison, and ends up being arrested. But Paul is then responding back to the church, who has now heard that one of their elders went to go visit Paul, rested. Now, this was also a church that Paul had never met because he says, um, chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, another city nearby, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul was writing to a group of people that he'd never met. He's writing to a group of people he's never met, Group of people who just had one of their elders put in jail and was a new baby church of sorts. It was a couple years old at the time. And they have received this information. They are wondering what do we do next? Well, at the same time struggling with a few big questions. What are these questions? Well, as we look through it, one of the major questions was because it was located at a crossroads, where it was at it was just at a trade crossroads. Other ideas were beginning to come through the area. The church was primarily Gentile in background, although there was a Jewish population there. And they were beginning to wrestle with the question, is Jesus really enough? They were beginning to say, okay, is the is the gospel really true? Or do we need the gospel and something? Or is all of it true? And as these ideas were going back and forth, most likely because of its location on the crossroads, the, this new baby church was beginning to, to wrestle with these questions. Is the gospel enough? Is the gospel just true here? What is going on there? And so all of these things are the canvas on which Colossians was written. Now, if we were to do an overview of Colossians, chapter 1 begins with Paul saying, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, And he opens in a prayer for them. That's specifically what we're going to look at, verses 3 down to 14. And then he reminds them of who, a reminder of who Jesus is, that Jesus is such truth about who Jesus is. And he kind of just jam-packs all of these things in about Jesus at the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he begins to remind them and says, hey, I have not seen you. But I have this credibility of the gospel that this gospel is true not just in Colossae. This gospel is true in the whole world. And as a result, don't let somebody else take you captive. Verse 6, or verse 8, sorry. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So as these other ideas were beginning to come in, the... People, this new church, was beginning to be swayed. Is the gospel really enough? Is Jesus really enough? Do we need something else? And Paul reminds them that, no, you have, you know who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Don't begin to be swayed by these things. Remember again who Jesus is. And then he goes into, so verse, chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been risen with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So because of who Jesus is, because of what the gospel is, that should affect our new identity in Jesus. And he kind of goes and lists that out. So verse 5 of chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So these things that characterize who you used to be should not characterize who you are in Jesus. But there are things that should characterize you as being a new people in Jesus, verse 12 of chapter 3. Put on then, as God chosen ones, because of who you are in Jesus, and then he kind of explains out what our identity in Jesus should look like. And then he says he doesn't just stop there, okay, it just is how you act. It affects your relationships. The end of chapter 3, wives, husbands, masters, children, fathers, fathers. This is who Jesus is. This is the gospel. It affects how we live, and it affects our relationships. That's where Paul is going on this canvas, if you will, of Colossians. So if that is the big picture overview, the background of this painting. We see all of these things previewed in his prayer, and that's what we're going to look at. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the text, verses 3 down to 14. 14. And as I do so, I would like you to do I'd like you to do something. Because sometimes when we hear the word read, especially if it's a text we've been familiar with or we've heard it before, sometimes our minds just kind of like skip over the top of the text. So, What I would like you to do is as I read Paul's Prayer in Colossians 1, try to summarize it in your own words. But As you hear it read, try to Trying to like put it in a sentence, maybe a sentence or two. And how would you describe Paul's prayer for these people he's never met? Colossians chapter one, starting in verse three. <clears throat> we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day we heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you would be fully pleasing to him, that you would bear fruit in every good work, and you would increase in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as you hear that read, how would you summarize it? Do you have something in your mind? rhetorical question I'm not going to actually ask you. But how would you summarize this section here? Well, if I were to have to summarize this text, I would... This is an attempt at summarizing. I would basically say, Paul is saying that I regularly pray that you would know and look more like Jesus. Paul's praying that these believers who he has never met would know and look more like Jesus. So the passage breaks down pretty neatly. You may see it kind of in paragraph form in your Bible. That's how we're going to break down the text as well. So Paul's thanking God for other salvation, verses 3 through 8. And then Paul is asking God for others' growth in verses 9 to 14. So if that's the breakdown of the passage, we've already looked at the canvas of Colossians, we're going to ultimately answer the question, how do I pray for other Christians? I believe that this text very practically answers that question. So if there's anything, if you get nothing out of this morning... May it be this, but there's only one thing that you walk away from this morning. Maybe this, like Paul, pray intentionally for other Christians to know and look more like Jesus. Like Paul, pray intentionally for other Christians to know and look more like Jesus. Let's look at that first paragraph, verses 3 through 8. Here, Paul is thanking God for other salvation. But these verses are actually one long sentence. It's almost as if Paul can get away with something that my English teacher would never let me get away with. Like if I tried to make a sentence that long, my paper would come back mostly red, and I think you'd be able to maybe see what I wrote underneath. Paul here, he comes, and as he writes, it's almost as if he he bubbles up and bubbles over with all of these truths and reminders that he wants these people to remember. So he kind of just, he writes the sentences and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, let's jam this in. And while we're at it, oh, this is important. And he just kind of like crams all of these truths and good reminders in there. It's encouragement. into one long overflowing statement of gratitude. Now remember, this is people he's only ever heard about. Because he says that Epaphras came and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He's never met these people before, but he begins his introduction, he begins his prayer by just cramming all of these truths in that are true of these believers. But he says, we always thank God when we pray for you since we heard of this. So from the day that he heard, he's begun to pray something for them. He breaks out in gratitude when he's reminded of the hope that these believers have, because he says, we always thank God, verse 3, when we pray for you, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5. He's never met these people. And as he comes, he is certain of the hope. Now, what is this hope? Well, it says here, the hope laid up for you in heaven. What is that hope? Well, it's, it's the gospel hope that is at work, in their lives, the fact that they have been saved, they're being made new to look more like Jesus, that the, the new identity that they have in Jesus is being worked out in their lives. And he says, we thank God when we pray for you because of the hope laid out for you, of you in heaven. And he's grateful that these believers have this hope. He's not just grateful for their response to it. He's not just saying, hey, I'm grateful that you sent a path for us to come visit me in jail. He could have begun there. He could have said, hey, I am grateful that, that you're new people. And he could have stopped there. He could have said, I am grateful that, that I hope to meet you in the future and I hear good things about you. He could have stopped there. But he says, we always thank God when we pray for you because of this love that you have for all the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven So, we always, so ever since Paul had heard about them, so he's specifically responding to information he's heard about people he's never met. It's frequent, it's regular. And he's working from Epaphras' report. No doubt, Epaphras had filled him in on the difficulties of the church. Like, they're beginning to wonder if the gospel is really all there is. Paul is well aware of that. But where does Paul start? He starts here. We always thank God for the love you have for the saints, because of the hope laid out for you in heaven. And so Paul's first response, even though he will deal with the heresy in chapter 2, the major questions, the, the doubt... In chapter 2, no doubt he will deal with that in chapter 2, but where does he begin? He doesn't begin with chapter 2, he begins here with chapter 1. And so similarly, when I see difficulties, where is my first response? So what is this hope? He says, we always thank God because of this hope that you have. This is the gospel that they've heard and responded to, verse 6. Hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So he just kind of, says, you have this hope. I'm grateful for it. And he just starts to unpack it. All in the same sentence. kind of cramming this material in. You've heard this before, the word of truth, the gospel. It has come to you. And this is the same gospel that they have heard. The same gospel they have responded to. And this is the same gospel that is at work in all of the world it is not just that the gospel is true for them. He reminds them that this is the gospel that is at work in the entire world. Verse 6, As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. (coughs) Now why is this important? Because they were beginning to be swayed by this heresy. They were beginning to doubt. Is the gospel really true? Have we gotten the entire gospel? do we need something else? Paul reminds them, you have the gospel. Remember what the gospel is. This is the same gospel at work in the entire world. It is not just true for you and not for them. It's true for everyone. Now this is the gospel that Epaphras had brought, verse 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So now that Epaphras has come, Epaphras fills in Paul on what is going on in the church there. And then he's being, then he's thrown into jail, as per Philemon. So you have the elder of the church who's come. You now have the church that's hearing. Where is Epaphras? We haven't heard from him in a while. What, 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 what happened? Did he get sick? Did he go down on a shipwreck? Oh, jail. And as we have that, as we have that information, as they are receiving this news, Paul is intentionally thanking God for the work of the gospel in the lives of these believers. You have I am grateful that you have the gospel, that you have responded to the gospel, that the gospel is at work in your life. Remember, these are believers he's never met. So let me step back from the passage for a moment. Let us step back out. Do we do the same? We can think of difficulties, Colossians chapter 2 type difficulties, and do we begin similarly? So, when I see a difficulty within the church, when you see a difficulty here across you, when I see a difficulty at my church heritage, Where do I begin? Do I begin by responding in gratitude for the work of the gospel very much at work in the lives of these believers? Or do I begin with chapter two, saying, hey, you know what? Look at some difficulties here we need to work through. I naturally am very good at starting with chapter two, as I suspect probably most of us are. But that is not where Paul begins. He begins with chapter one. We always thank God. Let me pray for you because the gospel is at work in your life. And so do I respond similarly? How often do I pray for others? Does my heart match this same overflowing, bubbling up sort of gratitude for the work of other believers? Or does my heart first stop, think of the problem, and focus on that? So as we look at this passage here, there are very specific applications that I think we can walk away from because this passage is instructive to us as we pray for other Christians. And if this this gospel is bearing fruit in all of the world, as we come, as other members come, as other missionaries come, as you hear of other churches in the county, you hear of other churches in the state nearby, as you hear of other Christians who you've never met, how do we respond when we hear of those Christians? Because of the Gospels that work in all the world, all the states, all the counties of Ohio, that means there are other Christians who we have not yet met, but we too can respond in the same way that Paul responds like Paul, you too can pray intentionally for other Christians to know and look more like Jesus. And thank God for others' salvation and the work of the gospel in their lives. But we can also ask God for their growth. Verses 9 to 14. Continues in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So, he repeats, we always thank God for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. And then he begins to kind of like expand on what he's praying for. Not just responding in gratitude, but he's saying, hey, I'm praying specific things for you, that you would look more like Jesus. Paul is praying for these new believers that they would know God's will in a way that affects how they live. He is asking that they would have a practical wisdom for living God's way, that because of who they are in Jesus and because of who their God is, they would then respond this way or that way. Not just have a knowledge of who God is in their head that then we forget come Monday, but a knowledge of who God is that we remember Tuesday morning when we're called into a meeting at work, or a remembrance of who our God is when, if your toddler is anything like my toddler, I sometimes forget of how I should respond That the gospel changes my relationships in parenting. The gospel changes my relationships with my neighbors. The gospel changes who I or how I should respond. What Paul is praying for is that they would know in a practical way who their God is and that would change how they live. So he prays specific things for them. Asking that they be filled in this knowledge of his will. With spiritual wisdom. So it's like a how to live sort of wisdom. And it's a specific understanding. So that they would, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that way, as they know who God is, as they remember, as it comes to mind again and again, they would walk, their actions would demonstrate that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you can say, well, what does that mean? Like, that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. That you'd be fully pleasing to Him. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. That you would bear fruit in every good work and you would increase in the knowledge of God. That the way that I respond in difficulty the way that I respond with an, to an annoying situation, the way that I respond to those around me would demonstrate fruit, that it would be pleasing to God. So if Paul is regularly praying for these new struggling believers to bear this fruit, then every good work, they would demonstrate that they are new people in Jesus. But their actions would be a demonstration of who they are. And he regularly prays that they would know God He prays that they would increase in the knowledge who they are in a practical sort of way. And he also prays, verse 11, prays that you would be strengthened with all power. Now, he's praying, and he's been praying regularly, he's been praying the same thing for these believers, who are beginning to waver. That they would be strengthened with all power. And you're like, what does, sounds good, like what does that mean? Well, remember how Colossians was one of the prison epistles? It was written with other epistles at the same time. Well, Ephesians explains more of this power. But I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Back like three, four, five pages. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul begins Ephesians with describing all of these things that are true for believers. And then in verse 15, that's where we'll look at. As for this reason, because of all these things that are true in the life of a believer, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 15, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you always in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him and in the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, or the riches of his glorious inheritance as saints? Is this beginning to sound familiar? Because of who we are in Jesus, Paul is responding in gratitude. And he's beginning to pray certain things for these believers. And he says in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us and who believe? Towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. So he begins to expand on this power that he has referenced in Colossians chapter 1. Because in Colossians chapter 1, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And kind of just leaves it there. But in Ephesians 1, verse 20, he begins to unpack it a little bit. And I think it's helpful for us to just read through quickly. So this great power, how does that work towards us who believe? Verse 19 this same power that he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So he begins to expand here. What is this greatness of his power? What does that even mean? It kind of impacts it a touch. Almost like he he starts to like break it open a little bit, kind of like when you have like an orange and you start to open it. That's what he's starting to do here, and the like the juice starts to run out. It's as if he does that with okay, this is God's power, God's might, and we start to just get a little bit of it dripping out the bottom. And then he continues to explain in chapter two. So this power, God's power, worked in Christ, raised Christ from the dead seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, and he lists all of the things that are now under Jesus' authority. And all this took place because of God's power, that he was working out in the situation. And then in chapter 2, he begins to kind of just describe how this power has been at work in us who are now believers. So turn back with me to Colossians chapter 1. When you read verse 11 of chapter 1 of Colossians, have that in mind. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that seated him above any earthly authority, the power that was at work in us to take us from dead to life, that same power that has done what we could never do is the same power here in verse 11 that says, may you be strengthened with this power. With all power. (coughs) According to his glorious might. And to what end are we strengthened with this power? Well, it says, for all endurance and patience. But God's work... God's power is at work in our lives to the end that we would have endurance and patience. Now, think of a difficult situation in your life. Why, for most of us, it shouldn't be that difficult. Something should come to mind easily. Annoying situation, difficult situation, crushing situation. And in that situation... God's power is at work to the end of endurance and patience. Now, I may go into a difficult situation and say, Hey, I just need to get through this one. I just need to, you know, grit my teeth. And if I just figure things out right, I can kind of work it out so I get through this situation. That is my first natural inclination to a difficult situation. And I think it's most of our first inclinations to a difficult situation. But there is no possible way that we can finish out this verse in our own strength. What do you mean? It says, well, here, may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. What are the next two words? That you would have endurance and patience. You guys are with me, um, with joy. I cannot get through difficult situations in my own strength, endurance, and patience. With joy, I can do it in kind of a. I get frustrated with everybody else because they're just complicating how I'm trying to get through that situation, but I cannot do so with joy. That only comes of God's power at work in our lives and in the situation. The only way we can have endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances or patience to bear up with difficult people is through God's power. And the good news is that Paul is praying that you'd be strengthened with all power. So the power at work that raised Jesus from the dead seated him above all in heaven, above all earthly authorities, the same power that took us from being dead to being to made new, to giving us life, that same power is the power at work in our lives. And Paul's praying that it would continue all the more. So, he's praying that who they are in Jesus would be demonstrated in how they respond to difficult situations, difficult people, that they would do it with joy. And he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 12. He can, continues on. He says, giving thanks. So then in all of these situations that you would respond with thanks. These are some of the things he's specifically praying for these believers that he's never met. He's praying frequently for these believers, these new struggling believers, that they would not only have endurance and joyful patience. He's praying that they would also too bubble up and overflow with the same sort of gratitude that he did in verses 3 through 8. That that would just be a natural response to who they are. It would just bubble up, kind of overflow. Now, why would they bubble up and overflow in gratitude? Because the Father, who is qualified as to share in the inheritance of saints in light, that they would know, that they would remember What God's, what God had been doing in their lives. Our hearts can be so quick to be like a, like a flower sifter. Like, what do you mean? My mother has a flower sifter that she keeps in like the container with flour. I don't fully understand why she has it, but she has it and she's always had it. And our hearts can be similar and I know that if I put flour into the sifter, and when I get bumped around, the flour falls through. And that's the intention of a flour sifter, is that just, that's what we needed to do. But in the same way, if the sifter is my heart, and the truth inside the sifter, or inside my heart, when I get jostled around so often, that truth slips out, I forget it. And in that same situation, Paul is saying, may you too give thanks for the truth that you know, you have heard it before, but we're so quick to forget. He's praying specifically. Now, what are these things? Well, God has qualified them to have an inheritance. He has delivered them from the domain of darkness, verse 13. He has transferred them to the kingdom of his Beloved son, he's transformed to Jesus' kingdom. He's provided them redemption. He's provided them forgiveness. Friends, remember, this is what God has done for every single Christian. Christians tempted by heresy or doubt or big questions, chapter 2. God has done this. Christians not sure really of how to live out who they are in their new identity in Jesus, chapter 3. Christians who really aren't sure, like, does the gospel really affect my relationships? Chapter 4. This is true for every single Christian, whether we've met them or not. And so as a result, like Paul, may we too pray intentionally for other Christians to know and look more like Jesus. So let's, what do we pray for other Christians? We can pray specifically that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. That they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That they would be fully pleasing to Him. That other Christians would bear fruit in every good work. That they would increase in the knowledge of God. that they would, That they would be strengthened with all power to the end of endurance in difficult situations and patience with difficult people. And that in all of it they would have joy. So these are the things that we can pray for. So we can also pray that they would have gratitude and just remember the truths of the gospel that are at work in their own hearts that we're so quick to forget. So when you hear of the baby church in Uzbekistan, or you hear of the baby church in China, Or you hear of a place in Malawi, or you hear of a place in Azerbaijan. And these are people who we've never met. May we pray this way? Or when you come to a prayer meeting and you're like, I know I need to pray, but like, how do I pray for a difficult situation? Or how do I pray for, you know what, I know I need to pray for these Christians. How do I pray? Pray this way. Or when you sit down to pray and if you're like me, you're like, I need to pray and everything that I told people I would be praying for had just like slipped your mind. Pray this way. Pray specifically that they would know and look more like Jesus. Pray that they would bear fruit. Pray that they would know God. Pray that they would have endurance. Pray that they would have joyful patience. Pray that they would just Be remembering and be grateful of the work of the gospel in their lives, in the lives of their family or the lives of their friends. Be praying this way for other Christians. May we make it a habit to pray intentionally, pray specifically, that other Christians would know and look more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, these truths are ones that I am to forget there are many people that we can be praying intentionally we can be praying well for and I pray that in the week to come that we pray specifically we would pray for the other brothers and sisters here across from you. That you we, we would pray for those that we have not met yet but we have heard of that we would pray that they would be just overflowing in gratitude for the work of the gospel in their lives. Pray that we would pray for our families, specifically, that they would look more like you and increase in a knowledge of you in a very practical way. I pray that we would pray for those here, Crossview. Pray for others that we know who are going through really difficult situations that they would do so with joy that doesn't make sense to the doctors and the nurses, that doesn't make sense to the neighbors, that doesn't make sense to the circumstances, but that the only reason would be because they know you. Help us to pray specifically for others. In His name. Amen.